the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello, welcome to this episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier. I am Donnie Mosier. Donnie's here. Uh, The Relevant Recovery Radio show is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. The Matthews Hope Foundation has a detox and recovery program. The detox portion is a 10 to 14 day detox inside St. Joseph's downtown. And then the aftercare is recovery support for two years after you discharge. And if you would like any information about that, please give us a call at 844-263-4673. And you're listening on KPRC 950 AM. If you're in the H-Town, we Sunday is at 1 o'clock, uh, or you can catch us on the iHeartRadio app. And by the way, we're really appreciative uh, of all the All of people our downloads. That, yeah, people are like really listening to these two idiots on a microphone. <laughs> I have no idea why. I'm really grateful for our listeners and everybody that tunes in to catch us, whether it's on KPRC or iHeart, or all our past episodes. Um, I'm excited about what we're doing, and I'm hoping we bring in like interesting topics. Yeah, and- we were doing this as a goof. Yeah. Like it was really something you were doing to fill in for Larry and, mm-hmm. and just try it out. And you really didn't like it in the beginning. Well, it just made me nervous to think that lots of people are listening to my voice. I don't like the sound of my voice. I do. And <laughs> I like the sound of your voice. Except <clears throat> well, when you're telling me like what to do or giving me advice. I don't like the sound of it then. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, I, I like the sound of your voice. I like it because it gives me a platform for jokes and making fun of you. Yeah, it's, you, it's you a lot think of fun. that that's great. I, <laughs> so which segues us into our topic. Uh, emotional sobriety. So it's a trendy um, tag phrase, I guess you would say, in the 12-step recovery world. This mm-hmm. is something that is called emotional sobriety, and it's something that people like to talk about and share about and think they have. <laughs> right, <laughs> but in, when... in general, maybe they don't, maybe I don't, maybe you don't. Like, So we're going to talk about what it is what it isn't, what the mm-hmm. opposite of it is, how it folds into recovery if you are a person in recovery, but also how it applies to someone not in recovery at all, just a regular normal person. And why it's important. And why it's important and, and kind of how that this is an ongoing thing uh, for the rest of your life. Yeah. So let's talk about, first of all, what is emotional sobriety? What do you think that means, Donnie? Well, I mean, we looked up a couple of definitions. Yeah. And I already had an idea of what I thought it was, and you had an idea, and we're we're pretty in line with what the interwebs think it is. And it's basically when let's take sobriety for instance. When you get sober um, in your first year, it's like woohoo, I'm not drinking, or woohoo, <laughs> I'm me. not doing heroin, and like it's enough. Yeah. Um, emotional sobriety is when that abstinence isn't enough anymore. Yeah. It's when you start working with God to attack the problems that made you drink or drug in the first place. And so that's what the first definition says. It's like a stage in someone's recovery where you move beyond abstinence and you address the feelings that may have been the underlying cause or desire for you to drink or do drugs in the first place. And 
I agree with that statement, but devil's advocate, um, I want to make sure I'm communicating well that there's no external force that makes me drink or do drugs. Um, there's no external yeah. force that creates a drug addict or an alcoholic per se. There may be catalysts in life, but we're talking about the feelings. We're talking about an internal condition and an emotional state that leads you to need to change the way you feel with drugs or alcohol or other things. Right, because the people that drink over an external problem generally are not one of us. Right. <clears throat> well, there are people that can't stop drinking after the external problem is, is gone. Those are us. Right, <laughs> right? right. No, absolutely. <laughs> Lots of people may have like traumatic catalysts that kind of you know create a drug or alcohol problem, but the people that return to that hot stove over and over again, despite the fact that that, that hot stove episode was ten years ago, you know you can't blame that anymore. You're not in that that same year. Well, and and the jokes on us too because when I when I got sober, I really thought it was just being sober a drinking problem. Yeah, and it's not. I, I thought the drink was the problem, and and for those of you out there who don't know, when when we get sober. If you are a chronic alcoholic or drug addict, that that is is, is merely a symptom. Right. Uh, the real condition is me, and I think that's what emotional sobriety is: is when I realize that the drink of the drug was really just a symptom of the real problem, and the real problem me. is me. Me internally. Selfish, self-centeredness. Um, I agree. So I think when we're looking at uh, emotional sobriety, we just we're wanting to look at it under the context that this is a stage of maturity characterized by your ability to regulate your emotions in a positive way. To, In other words, not be so affected by the world around you. Like those, uh, we have friends in our fellowship, we'll go out to dinner after a meeting, and, and here's the thing is, you know, somebody's in a meeting uh, and they're just waxing poetic about the steps and the principles and, hey, this is great. And here's what it. I do. And then we go out to dinner and the waitress takes five minutes too long and they're snapping in the air or they're mm -hmm. that is emotional insobriety. Insobriety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think that this is really like I use always I always use the phrase spiritual whack-a-mole. You don't just get sober and work the 12 steps one time and then you're just some super spiritually fit person that's super connected to God every day for the rest of your life. Right. Right. Uh, emotional sobriety is something that you're going to I'm going to constantly calibrate strive and regulate for. and strive for right. as God allows uh, situations in my life to crop up and teach me things about me. And I think it's truly about self-awareness. Well, and that's so that's what I was going to get to with that story is that the the different result is that if you have emotional sobriety and we're out to eat, um, you're thinking about the waitress, you're thinking about the server and you're going, wow, they must be really busy. Yeah. I feel for them tonight. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're pausing. You're not really getting upset. Little things like that aren't upsetting you because that is what emotional sobriety is. It's I'm keeping emotions in check. And it makes me think about um, like our 11th step that tells mm -hmm. us to pause when agitated. We will be agitated, um, but the steps give us a tool to be like, oh, I'm aware that I'm agitated. Let me pause. Let me see how I should respond rather than react. Mm -hmm. you know, in like a reflex sort of way to this scenario. Right. And I think the 10th step does too. The 10th step gives us this little cheat sheet of when I'm going through my day, when I get out of alignment with God's will and I'm back in self-will, and it's very clear when that happens now, but it right. wasn't in the beginning. It gives us this little cheat sheet of things to do to get me back aligned with God. Do you agree? I do. All right. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier. My husband, Donnie, is here in studio with me today. We're talking about emotional sobriety. What? What is that? (laughs) So before we went to the break, we kind of talked about uh, emotional sobriety coming after the drink and the drug has been removed for a period of time, but it's a level of maturity that you would gain spiritually uh, that regulates your emotions in a positive way. Well, I don't know if it regulates your emotions, but when you're in emotional sobriety, you don't let your emotions regulate you. Absolutely. And so that our literature talks about that on page 52 when it calls it the bedevilments. One of the questions is, are you in control of your emotional nature? Right. And so people that are not spiritually fit, not connected to God, they are. So we're going to talk about emotional. Which is us. In, right. Which is us at times. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And especially every newcomer. Yeah. <laughs> some yeah. pre-step, someone in a detail. These people are what you call emotionally in sober. So it means not sober emotionally yet at all. Right. And so what that looks like is someone who's very dominated by people, by words, by other people's actions. The people that are emotionally and sober are going to blame others for their problems. They're not going to take personal responsibility for themselves. They generally have tons of issues at work. They generally have tons of issues in their family at home. life. Uh-huh. They have all kinds of financial issues because emotional sobriety um, emo- or it's emotional insobriety not only affects my relationships with everybody around me, it affects my relationship with money, my mm-hmm. relationship with food, right? Yeah. And I think that, so I wanted to bring up a, kind of like a famous example to equate this to that recently happened. If you watch the Oscars. Which we don't. Which we don't. Because they're stupid. But we don't watch that trash. But <laughs> uh, I've heard from multiple people what happened at the Oscars. Apparently Will Smith did not agree with a joke that a comedian, <laughs> Chris Rock, made. And he was so dominated by that comment emotionally right. that he got up on stage and physically violently assaulted and slapped this guy at the cost of now he has to go on an apology tour and he has to do this and he, he might lose that. his award he won an award yeah. like 15 minutes after that apparently but he was crying on stage in embarrassment hopefully that's how I would interpret it is embarrassment at his actions and right. what he had just caused this is someone who's dominated by the words of somebody else I see it all the time. I I have only lived in Houston for, what, four or five years? And I grew up in Oklahoma, a very small town. People drive differently here. (laughs) You mean aggressive. Uh, Like, like it's it's actually insane. And so, road rage. Uh, If any of our listeners, if you or someone you know, and Donnie, you used to be really bad with road rage. Um, I feel like that is a blight on my character. You're just making that up. I don't care if you can call me a trash panda. I can call you out (laughs) on your road rage because I remember riding in Houston with you the first few times and I was terrified. But what I see now is it's a culture problem in Houston. There's a yeah. driving culture in Houston that is incredibly selfish, yep. incredibly entitled. Everybody's always in a hurry. Mm. People want to get in line ahead of everybody else. But they, y- you just said it. I want to make sure that we focus on that. Selfish. And entitled. Entitled. Right. So That's why people drive the way they do here. If I you, imagine that Will Smith was probably embarrassed for his wife. I, I'm, I'm, he did it. His motive was to stick up for his wife. Sure. Right. But his emotions took over and he felt entitled to shut that other man down. Yep. And the fact that he didn't get his way, yeah. he made a 
bad decision. Bad. And that's what we see all the time in unemotional sobriety, like where you're, oh, sorry, emotional in sobriety. I don't want you correcting me later. So. <laughs> but that's what's crazy. That's there's, what we see. There's literally uh, electronic billboards all over the city begging people not to road rage. Like right. There is road rage shootings every week here in this town. Like, what is going on with our culture that you feel that angry, that dominated by? That's one thing I noticed when you were struggling with road rage when we were early dating is that it seemed like you felt defensive, like you were in competition with the other cars on the road around you. I was. Like, no, you weren't. That yeah. was your perception because you were you mostly sober. You were privy to the forum I was on with all of Houston where we were discussing the race we were going to have It was like everybody was out to get you. They and, were. They absolutely were. It's so crazy. Like, I take, uh, I tend to 45 South to come downtown to the detox. I'm when, sorry. You know? And it's so crazy. When you take that loop to go 45 South, I, I know what lane I need to be in. It's always the longest lane because it's backed up. Right. But I get in lane in line and I stay there and I wait it out. But what I see is car after car after car passing cutting. on the left or the right cutting, which yeah. pushes us all that we're waiting in line right. backwards because and it makes the problem worse. Because they're, they're selfish and entitled. They are so selfish and, and entitled to get ahead of the line. Right. And the problem is, is that you take an alcoholic who is already a little more selfish than most people, right? <laughs> yeah. And you get him sober. Oh, look out. Now we're in trouble yeah. because now you have removed the one thing that could have calmed him down for a few minutes. Yeah. Right. And now he's left with nothing but his unchecked emotions. And for me, when I was newly sober uh, physically, like, you know, from drugs, mm -hmm. um, but not emotionally sober yet, uh, the one of the ways my emotional insobriety came out was through uh, social anxiety. Um, I was so... Mm, consumed with myself, yeah. <laughs> I was dominated by what people thought of me. Yeah. And so I was terrified to go to meetings. I was terrified to go to fellowships. I was terrified to go to coffee or approach somebody. Well, part of it was that you judged people so harshly. You just <laughs> knew they were judging you. I wasn't aware of that at the time, though. Yeah. Like, I just remember not wanting to pick up, like, sobriety chips because people would stare at me walking. Right. And, and I remember right, it lasted up until I turned a year sober. And I remember being so in my head, obsessed with myself around turning one year sober and having to get a chip in a room of like 200, 300 people in front of people I spiritually respected right. that I had the thought, Heather, if you drink, you don't have to get that chip. Wow. That is incredibly stupid. I was so consumed with self. And I, yeah. my immediate thought after that was that's a ridiculous idea. Why would you even think that? And, that, and that's what I'm saying is that Normal people who are not drug addicts and alcoholics, <clears throat> excuse me, have a, an issue with self. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? But then you take us, we're amped up. Mm -hmm. Like, we're a little blown out of proportion with ourself. Yeah. Um, Even though we don't think so. Oh, no. No, absolutely. <laughs> Everybody else is the problem. Absolutely. If I, just well, had, are. if I just had better kids, or if I just had a different yeah. husband, or if I just had parents that loved me, or if I just had the upbringing you did, or if I, you know, it's this blame game and this lack of personal responsibility for your life. And what I realized is like I had to get over myself. Right, right. That the, the chip or my sobriety wasn't about me anyway, it was about God. Yep. And and I'm either here to try to help people behind me or I'm still all about me. And the longer I stay in that funk of the emotional insobriety, the more disconnected from God I become and the more unmanageability that returns. 
Yep, absolutely. And so when you look at that unmanageability returning, for me, it was through the men I would date or the social anxiety. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is that we're talking about actions like uh, cutting people off in road rage or, you know, a dude walking up on stage on a show that nobody even watches anymore or cares about (laughs) and slapping a guy. Yeah. But let's talk about the other ways that um, what emotional insobriety looks like. I'm barely scraping by and I decide I need to go buy a new vehicle yeah. or, um, you know, I'm going to go make a job jump right yeah. for no reason because mm-hmm. I'm emotional about it. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we make or I don't like the way my boss treats me and, and they don't respect me. So I'm going to quit and go somewhere else. Right. Or, you know? I've had enough of this <laughs> or food. It, or right. Food. Or we overeat. Right. Because we're so wrought with emotion. We're so, so wrought with all of that discomfort that and I can't do drugs or drink anymore. Right. So maybe I start binging. I see a lot coming out, yeah, with not food, uh, shopping for girls. Um, a lot of times you get sober, uh, the drink and the drug is removed, and they're working the program, going to meetings, and, but then it's like, cool, what are you doing with your money? Right. Like, is God cool with what you're doing with your money? For some, I, My best friend from Kerrville, Michelle, she would buy lottery tickets. It was like the biggest obsession that she had in early sobriety and we had so many conversations and I'm like you're going to relapse if you can't stop buying lottery tickets and she's like you're ridiculous that's not true you know I've had times (laughs) in my sobriety when I'm going to go buy something or I'm going to do something and I run it by a friend and and I'm like hey this is what I'm going to do they're like well have you prayed and meditated on that (laughs) the answer is always yes (laughs) of course I have I mean (laughs) not really I've actually probably not because I have already if I'm talking about it I've already committed to doing it I've already decided I'm doing it yeah right but there's lots of ways so uh shopping is one uh gambling you'll see you'll see that problem crop up in early sobriety as a a form of emotional insobriety uh infidelity there's there's some things that crop up because we're human and we're faulty and and those are all red flags hey i need a deeper reliance on god yep and when we come back we're going to start talking about what does emotional sobriety have to do with sobriety okay we'll be right back Heather and Donnie Mosier, we're talking about emotional sobriety. I wish I could get some. I wish you could too. I mean, make my life a lot better. Walmart had a sale on it. (laughs) But I think we always talk about this is a trendy thing to talk about. Um, We talked about what it is. Well, you know what? Okay. You hear it come up every once in a while in the rooms. Yeah. But I don't think it's really talked about enough. I don't think it's talked about enough. There's plenty of people in the rooms that I want to shake and be like, oh, Lord, get some (laughs) emotional sobriety. Like, please. I don't think people everybody's at different spiritual stages and so i think generally when it's a topic at a meeting i don't think most people really understand what it is honestly there's that speaker i'm only going to say the first i'm not going to say the last initial i don't know if he's still alive or not but that tom yeah Mm -hmm. and everybody just loves his talk on emotional sobriety and you and i are i don't dislike it but i'm not a big fan of it because he spends about 45 minutes on the problem and never really talks about the solution like okay we get it we know what the problem is yeah yeah so how but, do you go from A to B? Right. And, and so what does emotional sobriety have to do with sobriety? I think it has a lot to do with it because what people don't realize is 
when you need or want to get sober, you come mm-hmm. in thinking the drink or the drug is the problem. Yep. And if I could just get drugs or alcohol removed from my life, I can get back on track and I can get a decent life back. And yeah. what you find out later is that is absolutely not true for chronic alcoholics and drug addicts. Right. That the drink or the drug was never the problem. It was a symptom of an internal condition. And even if you remove the drink or the drug only without emotional sobriety, you're going to be miserable in sobriety. And our literature talks about that. Our literature talks about the boy whistling in the dark who is not happy. He's not happy about his sobriety and he's secretly wishing he could take half a dozen drinks and get away with it. And we got to look at that in context. Like, when does that happen? Does it happen? And we need to talk about it. Well, and I think the other thing too is that everybody... People have a general idea of what the allergy and the obsession is. And the, yeah. and the obsession is the obsession of the mind. And I think everybody latches onto, and I did for a long time, that the obsession of the mind is... How can I control my drinking? What can I do? What can I? The obsession is not just about taking a drink. It's changing the way you feel, period. We know somebody recently who went back out, and it wasn't because he was thinking of a drink over and over and over again. It was because he was so uncomfortable in, in his, his own, own skin. skin. Yes. Sober. But, and that's why I was talking about my friend Michelle with the lottery tickets. That's why I was equating buying lottery tickets to being uh, precipitating a relapse. Mm-hmm. Right? Because we got in, in recovery, we look for these red flags of um, unmanageability returning full force way before the drink or the drug. The last right. thing that you do, the last thing you do in a relapse is put a drink or a drug in your body, but it begins weeks or even months way before that with a lack of reliance on spiritual disciplines and and living back in self-will. Well, and so I think what we're saying is that what does emotional sobriety have to do with sobriety? Everything. 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 Because if I don't get emotional sobriety... You will not stay sober or abstinent in the first place or or be happy sober. Or what I will become is single, unemployed, and friendless. So let's talk about this for a minute because what we call that in the fellowship is a dry drunk. Yeah. Right? And so a dry drunk is somebody who... They call it sodriety. <laughs> sodriety, yes. And so it's somebody who's not drinking or drugging at the moment, right. but it's not fun to be around this person. They're doing the two-step. That's what they call it. Instead mm-hmm. of the 12-step, they're doing the old two-step. They're working step one and not drinking, mm-hmm. and they may even be sponsoring, but they're not working any of the steps in the middle. Yeah. I thought one in 12 was the 13th step. No. We're not going to talk about that one. Well, that, that would be the 13th <laughs> That would be a form of emotional insobriety. Well, that's true. That's, that's rampant in the rooms, <laughs> if too. Our, if our listeners don't know what that is, Google it. You'll see what the 13th step is. It's not yeah. real, but it is real. Well, that's when somebody with time n- no emotional sobriety takes advantage of a newcomer, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and it happens both ways, men and women alike. I mean, So our, our literature actually spends a lot of time talking about emotional insobriety without yeah. mentioning it that way. The book calls it spiritual malady. Uh, and in our cycle of addiction, they call it restless, irritable, discontented. Dr. Silkworth coined it as that. Right. And so if someone is sober, but they're restless, or that's anxiety. Everybody's talking about their anxiety disorders to say today, right? right. And if I'm, and I'm emotionally in sober, I'm also like my unmanageabilities are going haywire. My yep. life is unmanageable. My emotions are unmanageable. You're irritable. Hence, yeah. road rage. Maybe that's one example, but are, yeah. do you have a short fuse with your spouse? Are you always annoyed with your kids? Right. Uh, you know, are you never appreciated, air quotes, at work? Like, this is an emotional um, deficit. This is so, spiritual sickness. And I want to say that 
in the 12-step world, only the first half of the first step mentions a substance at all. Right. And what I want our listeners to know is that from the second half of step one on through the rest of the program that you continue for the rest of your life has nothing to do with a drink or a drug. It has to do with your spiritual condition. It has to do with your spiritual condition. Yeah. It has to do with, with going on a path to gain emotional sobriety, period. Yeah. And Agreed. So, and so that's that's what we're really there for. That is what the program is there for. Period. Yeah. And so, how does one gain emotional sobriety? Like in your experience, Donnie, what do you think the tools are that the steps give us, or that maybe church could give us? How does one go from being emotionally sick to emotionally sober? What did that look like for you? I mean, we're okay. There's been a lot of well, it's man, it's one of those topics that's like, how do you do it? You work the steps, okay? You work the steps, and mm-hmm. and once you work one through twelve with your sponsor, you then go and you continue ten, eleven, and twelve every. I mean, you continue them all, right? We do the best we can. I don't want to say I go work all twelve steps every day because I don't. No. Some days I do well and I may hit most, and some days I don't do well and I hit zero. Yeah. Right? As long as I don't drink. I can reset the next day. You but. know what that just made me think of, though, is is the people that uh, will try to work a program in multiple different fellowships of oh, and I never work and one never of them want completely. one fully. Oh, so, well, do we know how a lot of people so are doing that? So I see this all the time with someone saying, "Oh, I got a problem with alcohol, so let me go to Alcoholics Anonymous." Or I got a problem with drugs, so let, let me go to Drug Addicts Anonymous. Or I got a problem with food, so let me go to Overeaters Anonymous. I got a problem at home, so let me go to Al-Anon. Al-Anon, you know, we'll see a lot of people that go to Twelve Step and Al-Anon, and it's really like when I ask them the core questions: Do you have a sponsor? ever or currently, and have you worked all 12 steps and are you sponsoring others in that fellowship? Rarely do you find someone who's actually done one program fully. That is doing multiple, correct. Th- yeah, that's correct. doing multiple. Usually, they're just members of multiple multiple fellowships, right. never working one full program. That would be a wondering, really busy schedule. Right? But they're wondering why they don't have any freedom in these areas. And it's like, well, if you just work all 12 steps in one, you would find some freedom in all of these areas. Right. So, I mean... When we're talking about emotional sobriety, what we're really talking about is a reliance on God. Yeah. I mean, that's really bottom line. I mean, that's... The difference between self-reliance versus God-reliance, Because period. all of those emotional problems, okay, if I'm in public and somebody says something I don't like, if I have a reliance on God, I'm going to pause mm-hmm. and I'm going to say, hey, well, maybe this guy's having a bad day or... You know, I'm not going to do something stupid like go on a stage in front of the world <laughs> and, and hit slap... Somebody. A, first, who slaps a man? I don't know. I mean, I'm... I almost cursed just now. Was just, <laughs> come on, well, wake up. I have an example. Stop um, being so entitled. I have an example because the 10th step teaches us to watch, actively watch as we go through our day uh, for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, or fear. Those four things, which repeat from the 4th step and they repeat in the 11th step. And so the 10th step is asking me to watch for these right. four things. Because anytime I'm feeling selfish, dishonest, resentment, or fear, I'm now back in self-will and I'm not I'm, in God's will. That's period. right. So and that's, that step is to get me realigned. Right. And so then you go through the process of what a 10th step is to realign me back like to God's bacon will. cookies. You got to do all the ingredients. But here's something so funny. I remember one time you and I were at a meeting and uh, I had to go to the bathroom real quick after the meeting because we don't get up and disrupt the meeting. And so I go to the bathroom. There's two stalls. There's a regular stall and a handicap stall. Some girl was already in the regular stall. So what did I do? I went in the handicap stall. 
Yeah. You know, and guess what happened? Well, while I'm in there, girl number one finishes and leaves that stall empty and someone handicapped comes in while I'm finishing up. In the You're ha- a monster. And so this lady verbally assaulted me. She was so disgusted that I chose to do that. And I'm like, I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to tell her, you know, I caught I caught it in that moment. And I thought, oh. Heather, don't say anything that you're going to owe an amends for. I'm feeling resentful. I feel the need to justify myself. Right. So I know that that's not godly. I don't need to justify myself. I'm feeling the need to justify all the jokes in my head right now. Shut up. And so uh, <laughs> I just smiled at her. And I didn't even wash my hands. I was did you just, ask her what she did for no, no. God to do that to her? No, I, I, no, I never <laughs> I never addressed her because I didn't want to say something I would owe amends what for. What sin did your family do? Donnie, that's not how it works. So <laughs> I went outside. I just smiled at her and I exited the bathroom real quickly and I went outside and, and I went up to our friend Gay and I was like, I need to tent step with you. I'm disturbed. And she's like, did you pray first? And I was like, no, dang it. Hold on. And I like, go turn That's around. That's the lie that everybody <laughs> says. Did you pray first? Of course I did. No. So I go pray. I'm like, and you're supposed to ask God to remove how you feel. Right. I'm, I'm watching for this awareness that this negative emotion has cropped up and then I'm immediately supposed to ask God for help to remove how because I feel. I, I know how Rather to than do... feel justified in how I feel. Because one of the things that I'm watching for in a 10th step is the fluctuation of, of my, my emotions, feelings. either up or down. Because right? we always say, you know, you can't trust your feelings. Your feelings right. are not fact. They are temporary. They will change in 10 minutes and they will lie to you. You cannot live life based on feeling. And if I'm doing a 10th step every day and then I'm doing an 11th step, which is morning prayer meditation and at night, Nightly review. I'm sitting down and I'm writing <clears throat> basically an inventory of my behavior during the day. I'm taking that's all that that's all eleven step is is looking at yourself right uh, at the end of the day in an honest and, and constructive nobody way. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody. No, not even me. <laughs> not even you. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio with Heather and Donnie Mosier, Hello. the king and queen of mediocrity. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I think I'm fantastic. We of course, my self awareness is in the toilet, though. But <laughs> yeah, well, I just you know, I just think we should change the name of the show to no. Idiots and Microphones. No, I think that these are fun conversations. We're we're talking yeah. about emotional sobriety versus emotional insobriety, and it really goes back to spiritual fit or not spiritual fit. It really. I have, I have a question. What? I want to interrupt. Okay. Does somebody with 20 years automatically have emotional sobriety? No, and that's a really good question. The question would Because be, in the rooms, people equate that. They're like, well, this is an old time. Oh, this guy's He's, got all this time. Oh, he must be really like. And so I do fit. not. I don't. I don't. I do not. I do not. I don't believe that sobriety time equates emotional sobriety. Why? Um, for a few different reasons, okay. but <laughs> because this process of learning how to be spiritually disciplined and and rely on God waxes and wanes throughout anyone's life, um, time is never an indicator of whether someone is emotionally sober or not. And here's an example. 
when people are newly trying to get sober, the fear of relapse is so great, they may be much more disciplined or fanatical right. about these disciplines for God, and they're all in, and they're doing nightlies, and they're doing a 10-step, and they're writing inventories, it crops up, and they're sponsoring other people. That discipline, those, those, those habits, may lessen over time and put that person, even though they may stay sober, the mental obsessions may stay gone, they may not drink again, but they may be get real complacent with the more time sober they have right. and become spiritually sick over time. I think that there's I think that the ego rebuilds, the right? The ego rebuilds for some people very quickly for you know, there's definitely people with a lot of time that I don't want what they have spiritually at all. They're, they're and a, there are people with 30, 60, 90 days who I would listen I'm to all day long. I'm amazed by, right? There's yeah. some people with six months sober, and even in our home group, that I, every time they share, I'm like, oh my gosh, this person is so connected to God. I love hearing them talk. Yeah, yeah. And so they have a phrase, a saying is, uh, don't let your time sober fool you about the quality of your spirituality. I, I have this I have this hypothesis, and, and I, I want to get your take on it, because I don't know if we agree on it or not. I, I'm a firm believer that... As you grow spiritually, mm-hmm. certain things uh, may not be okay anymore. Yeah. Right? God puts certain things on my heart that it's like, okay, I got to improve that whether I want to or not. If you're spiritually growing, that will happen. One of the things that happened to me, three, four years sober, I went to a retreat with all these old timers and I shared. And after the meeting, this guy pulls me aside and says, hey, man, you really share well. You have a lot to say. And I was, but why do you have to ruin it? And I was like, what do you mean? And he says, why did you have to curse so much? Yeah. He said, you took away from what you had to say. And so I stopped cursing in, in meetings. In, for the most part. For, for the, I mean, really, yeah. 99%. Yeah. I, I just don't do it when I share. Um, Were you defensive at first when he corrected you, or did you immediately know he was right? I had an inkling, but of course I was defensive. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but then there are men in meetings that have many, many years sober who cannot get through a sentence without an F-bomb. And I'm yeah. like... yeah. Why have you not grown past this? Yeah. Like, like there's people that say that, uh, well, if you're in a rehab or you're in a detox, you know, that's how you get a hold of them. I, I disagree. I completely disagree. Well, you've never been a patient in a detox like I was. I haven't. I'm an upstanding suburbanite yeah. who had a drinking problem and just took care of it because that's what we do. So I want to tell you, there's, it's a double-edged sword. I think that when I was in rehab, my first sponsor I ever picked, it's because she cussed a lot and talked about God and seemed really happy. And that was attractive to me because I was so emotionally unsober. But if she was sharing and she didn't curse in her share, but she said something that had depth and weight, wouldn't you have listened? I don't know. I'm just saying that's why I picked her. I I, I don't know. Uh, My next three sponsors, I don't know that I've really ever heard them cuss. It's not not valuable to me now. We have that friend of ours who, John, who has got 33, 34 years sober. I've never heard him curse in a meeting. And yet when he shares, people listen to every word he has to say. But also on the flip side, like my dad, who's not in the program uh, like we are and not an alcoholic, uh, but I've never heard him cuss. Uh, But at times, a spiritual unmanageability or emotional insobriety comes out in different ways for people, right? And so it's not always an indicator. Um, Like feeding a dog ice cream. Yeah, my mom does that. <laughs> I don't know where that is on spiritual fitness. With a spoon from a roll on the couch. It was the I'm craziest just saying that seen. you can't equate sober time no. to emotional sobriety. Just like you can't equate, oh, you have trauma, you're going to be a drug addict. But let's it, go into they're why. They're not the common denominator. Why can't you equate it? What happens through, if you're in, in long-term sobriety, which you and I are... 
Well, I mean, I only have five and a half years. I feel like I'm still a baby in this. And so I feel like I'm not allowed to really comment on whether or not I have emotional sobriety or not. You're going to feel like you're in longer term sobriety when you hit my age, <laughs> when you're you know, coming up on nine, ten years sober. Um, it comes with wisdom and time. Wow. Do you remember what you told me? Okay, here's a good example. That night that uh, we were at that restaurant with a whole bunch of people. I was possessed by the devil. And you had decided to fast for three days or whatever. You were yeah. not okay spiritually yeah. at all. Yeah. And we were having a debate about something program-wise and you disagreed with me and you yelled at me in front of everybody. I it's did. Ca- you said, it's called experience, Heather. You should get some. Listen. <laughs> because I have less time than you. And I, thought, I may oh have my said gosh. it incorrectly, but you should get some. Um, <laughs> I think that's factual. And if I wasn't emotionally sober, which I was at that time, I may have done some cocaine about it. You may have hurt me and I may have had to go like retaliate. Right, right. No, I I, uh, <laughs> I believe that the devil had possessed me that night. It wasn't really my fault. Yeah, you really don't normally talk to me like that. But I, I want to say that like I said, don't let the length of your sobriety fool you about the depths of your spirituality. Because your your ego comes back, mm-hmm. you start to rest on your accomplishments, you get comfortable just doing you, you get comfortable going to meetings, you, you probably have developed friends and acquaintances, like all your friends and acquaintances are in the program. And so anytime I'm sponsoring a girl, and later, she's through the steps, yeah. she's, she's living life in the program, and some time goes by when she comes back to me with a life crisis or some disturbance in her life, there's always this back to basics that we do. Yeah. You know, you really have to address... Do you address, need to work the steps again, that kind of thing? Some people might need to work the steps again if they've had a lot of resentments and new resentments built up and harm that's caused. If they have been, as the book says, resting on their laurels Resting for on their laurels. They've been trusting themselves. And yeah. so this this unmanageability and the resentments and the fear that crops back in and it starts to dominate them again. If if I'm emotionally in sober, I'm dominated by the world around me again. What's a telltale sign of that? What does that look like? Right? So they're in meetings. They're judging everything everybody has to say. It looks different. They're but angry. I, yeah. Yeah. They're definitely angry. They're victims. They're back to being a they're victim again. They're back to again. being a victim. Uh, every, everybody else is the problem. Uh, they're probably not praying and meditating every morning. They're probably yeah. not in the fellowship going to meetings. They probably don't have a home group. They're probably not doing nightlies. They're probably not tenth at stepping with me. They're right. probably not actively sponsoring someone in the They tend to book. know all, all the answers, too. <laughs> yeah. Now... Uh, for our audience out there, we know this because we've just described ourselves at yeah. various periods in our sobriety. Yeah, speaking from experience. Absolutely. We are not on a spiritual high top. And I remember when I was a couple months sober, I was, you know, a little off. And I remember I had stopped doing a nightly, which is the uh, 11th step for like a week. Yeah. And I remember my sponsor at the time called me and she goes, hey, Heather, um, I haven't been getting nightlies from you. And I was sarcastic. And I said, yeah, that's because I haven't been doing them. Ooh. And she was like, oh, well, let me ask you this. Are you an alcoholic? And I said, yeah. She said, are you a drug addict? I said, yeah. She said, then you don't have the luxury of not doing these things. This right. is what we do. Otherwise, you're just going to drink again. Don't waste my time. And, and so the thing that we have to hit on before we get out of here is that it's not easy. It's not easy. So at four and a half years sober... Um, I didn't have anything to blame it on. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't drugging. And I was doing some really shady things outside the rooms Yeah. while sitting inside the rooms and preaching about steps and principles and all of that. 
Mm-hmm. What happens is we get comfortable, our ego rebuilds, and it's hard. It's hard mm-hmm. because when we're first in, we're desperate and we'll do anything, but then it's like, well, life gets really good. Yeah, and I think that some of the red flags to look for, like even if you're still sober, you're looking for the unmanageability of issues yeah. with food or shopping or infidelity yeah. or gambling cropping back up. You know, our co-founder had a lot of problems with depression and anxiety in sobriety yeah. years later, and he wrote an article about emotional sobriety, and what the core of the article talks about is that he realized he had incredible dependence tendencies on people and circumstances again which will fail you every every time, time. and Without so he, fail. so he was setting himself up for this emotional insatisfaction that's right and so he said that if if we examine every disturbance we have great or small we'll find that the source is unhealthy dependencies so the Ooh. dependence should always go on god not self all right let's go to walmart they have <laughs> emotional sobriety on sale on sale today remember those who stand for nothing will fall for anything Hashtag God, though.